Now, some of you know this past semester, we've been looking at the life of Moses. And today we're going to be in Exodus 33. But in order to understand what's going on in Exodus 33, you've got to do a little bit of review and look at Exodus 32. Um, so in Exodus 32, uh, we find that Moses is up on Mount Sinai in modern-day Egypt, and he's up there talking with God. Uh, this is where he receives the Ten Commandments on, hu- on two huge big stone tablets for the people. But not only does he receive the Ten Commandments, he gets a whole plethora of rules and laws and regulations that are meant to help the Israelite people. They're going to have laws directly from God. It's not going to be from some kind of corrupt government or uh, controlling king or anything like that. This is coming down directly from God. This is great stuff that Moses is getting is that when he takes it back down and he implements it in the Israelite community, they will be a nation for God. This doesn't exist yet. Every other nation in the world at this time is trying to gain power and prestige and honor through battle and through military might and through the death of the sword. Not so with Israel. They're going to achieve fame and power and prestige through following God and doing things God's way. They are meant to be a nation apart from the world. And it takes a while to take all that information down. Some of you, you've gone to jobs, and you've had to do maybe like a six-week training at the beginning to kind of get ready. This is kind of what this is. Oh, it's not even six weeks. It's just a little over a month. That Moses is up there getting trained, getting ready, learning to lead his people God's way. Unfortunately for Moses, the Israelite people aren't really that patient. They're back down at the bottom of the mountain, and they're thinking, man, it's been over a month. We haven't seen him. They say this at the beginning of chapter 32. They say, when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. And they said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. Because this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. I love this. that They remember. They haven't forgotten who Moses is. And they haven't forgotten what Moses has done. They remember Moses. God is the one who freed us from Egypt, who allowed us to cross the Red Sea on dry ground, who provided bread and meat for us in the desert, who provided water for us, even gave us a big military victory over this rough people called the Amalekites. They know Moses, and Moses God have taken care of them, but they're wanting something new. It's, it's been a while. We haven't seen Moses in almost in over a month. We need to go for something new. We need a new God. That was, the great God we've had was good, but we need to move on. And so what the people do is they decide Everybody is going to turn in their gold and their jewelry, their earrings, their necklaces, their rings, their watches, whatever they've got. They're going to turn it all in, and then they're going to melt that gold down, and they're going to fashion it into a calf, like a little cow. And we're going to worship this calf, and it's going to be great. We're not going to think about the fact that we created this calf, and we're worshiping something we created, and we expect this statue to lead us and guide us. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's exactly what they have done. And so I just want to ask you, if you're Moses, you're up on Mount Sinai, you're getting the best seminary education class you could ever have that's going to benefit your whole people group, and you come back down, and you find your people worshiping a golden cow. What is Moses experiencing? What is his emotional state? He's mad, he's livid, he's betrayed, he's angry, he's furious at him. He's more than a little upset. So much so that we learn later in chapter 39 or 32, as he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became enraged. 
and he threw the tablets out of his hand, smashing them at the base of the mountain. Then he took the calf they had made, burned it up, and I love ground it to powder. How did he ground it to powder? Same way you ground anything to powder in the ancient world. You just take a hammer and you just keep smashing it over and over and over until it's all just powder. Then he scattered the powder over the surface of the water and forced the Israelites to drink the water. Now, Pastor Steve shared, taught about this last week. The reason he did that was because when the people drink this gold-infested water, they are all going to get sick. And this is meant to be a bitter reminder of how worthless and weak any idol is and how ridiculous it is to put anything above our worship of God. Tough reminder. Eat that, get sick. Okay, we're not doing that again. And it does show that an idol has nowhere near the power of God. They are all weaker. They can all be smashed to bits. But the inverse of that is also true. If we don't smash and destroy and run away from the idols in our life, for you it's probably not a golden calf. It may be something more like popularity or prestige or honor or wealth. If we don't run away from those idols, those idols will hurt us, hinder us, and if given enough time, they will destroy us, hands down, every time. A few years ago, uh, I came across a video on the Internet that I just think is great. Uh, it's of a dad who realized that his teenage son had an addiction, idolatry problem with video games. I know no children in here ever struggle with that or anyone like that. No young adults struggle with that. That's not us. I don't know parents. No, no parents struggle to get their kids away from the TV or the video games. But this dad was struggling with that. And he just wanted his son to get out of the house, to get a job, to make better choices with his life. And so he chose to do something about it. Got a video here for you. There's no audio. We don't even really hear what they're saying. But there's all the kids' video games on the front lawn. There's the kid saying, I'm never going to quit playing these games. These games are my life. Dad's saying, I want you to get out of the house and get a job. No way I'm never, I'm never going to stop playing this. You will. I won't. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to take these games right now. No, you won't. And then here we go. <laughs> just destroys all of them. The games are gone. <laughs> that is smashing an idol and it's, and it's best. Idols in our life need to be destroyed. They don't need to be respected, worshipped, or given the time of day. So when we start Exodus 33, the Lord is upset, he's mad, he's disappointed with his people. So much so that when we start the chapter, verse 1, we learn that the Lord spoke to Moses, Go, leave here, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are Moses' ancestors. God had promised Moses' ancestors, I will give your people a wonderful land. And he's telling them, go up to the land, go up to it now, saying, I'll give it to your offspring. I will send an angel ahead of you, and they will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God says, I got you. There's a lot of people in this land already. It's a wonderful land. You can grow crops. It's made for a civilization to thrive. People group can grow. You can protect it. You can have wealth. You can have power. You can have prestige. You'll have what you need. And I'll send an angel because there's already people in this land. People have already found it, and they know how good it is. I'll send an angel, and that angel will shove those people out for you. He describes it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. Hear that? Like, 
I can't walk to you to this, to this promised land. I'm sure one of you is just going to say something slightly offensive, and I'm just going to zap them right there, and they're gone. I'm going to just lose it on you. It's kind of what, that's, the, that's the message that's implying there. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Maybe you've been hurt or disappointed about what someone may have said to you, done to you, thought about you. And you knew once you found out this horrible information that if you were to say something back or if you were to do anything other than just walk away, what you would do too would be hurtful and harmful. <clears throat> I'm, I'm blessed to say that I, just, I haven't had that many moments in my life that were just that hard on me in that way. Um, but as I was putting this sermon together, I was kind of thinking, yeah, I don't know if I really had too many things. And all of a sudden, boom, I thought, I was like, oh, yeah, there was this one time. This really did make me mad. Uh, this was a few years ago. My wife and I were dating, um, and I was serving uh, on a college campus as a campus minister with Campus Crusade. And we were about to have a split men's and women's time. And you know, the, the girls were going to talk about one thing. Guys were going to talk about something else that was gender-specific. And I had been asked to talk to the guys about dating and relationships. And I thought, you know, I'm a man. I can do this. But also, no one really knew this, but I was about to, like, buy the ring and propose to my wife. So I was kind of feeling like, oh, I've got dating conquered. I'm about to move into engaged land. This is going to be great. I'm ready. And I was preparing. I was getting ready for it. And then I went on a date with Kayla, my girlfriend then, wife now. We were out. And our staff team with crew and our student leadership team, we had a shared text messaging group. And it was great. We could plan events and get ready for things without having to meet up. It was just quicker and faster. I don't know if this one student meant to text the group or if he meant to text a specific person, but he texted the group. Everyone saw this. And here was his specific text. Why is Mackie teaching on relationships? He's not even married. And that popped up on my phone while I was on a date with my wife. Now, that's just a side note. When you're on your own date, you should just put your phone away. It's not going to help you relationally. not going to help you grow closer. Man, she's not going to think you're awesome when you're checking, you know, what's going on on your fantasy football team. She's not impressed. But it popped up, and I, I really wanted to be like, listen, here, I've got no more new dumb. Take it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, angry tweet. But thankfully, my wife's a better person than I am, and she said, you don't need to respond to that. You don't even really need to have your phone out. You're on a date with me. And she's right. So I put it away, and there really was no need for me to respond. Anything that I was going to say in that moment was going to be hurtful and harmful, and I was still supposed to speak. And so I prepared. I looked at what the Bible said about dating, and I taught it at this men's time, and it was a good event. The reason I was like hurt and mad though is because what he wrote, it was definitely hurtful and mean and it was inconsiderate and it took a shot at my self-esteem and my confidence. But here's the thing. I'm Mackie Gaskin. I am not all-powerful. I am not perfect and I am not holy. God of the universe, God of the Bible is. And so whenever we attribute any good thing that we have in our life to our own work ethic or our luck, or our parents, or anything like that, it is always a complete and total folly. We are fooling ourselves beyond belief. Every good thing we have comes from the God above. And therefore, there is no reason ever to worship or idolize anything other than the God of the Bible. Now, Moses understood this. You have the Israelites who are going for the calf, but Moses realizes I just want to have a relationship with God every day. I want to talk to God each day. And Moses still had a lot of questions and concerns for God. And he knew that he had no shot of leading these people 
and that they would never be a nation set apart and different from other nations without God's presence. So Moses came up with a plan. Uh, in verse 7, we see that now Moses took a tent and he set it up outside the camp, far away from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Moses figures, okay, God is tired of us right now. Maybe if I get away from these people and I get far outside the camp and I set up my own tent, maybe I can talk to God there. And other people were welcome to go and talk to the Lord as well. But you just knew right now, God doesn't want to be within the, in the camp. And here's a big thing that's going on I want to explain. Their, the people's fellowship with God has been hurt and hindered right now. But there's a big difference between our fellowship with God and our relationship with God. Our fellowship with God is our daily talking to God, our daily praying to God, our daily thinking about God, reading the Bible. That's our fellowship. And when we do those things on a daily basis, you will feel really close to the Lord. You are spending time with Him. Your friendship, and your, and your friendship with Him is getting better. Your fellowship with Him is getting better. But your relationship with God, that's based on Jesus' death on the cross for you. And if you've made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you can never lose your relationship with God. He is still your Lord. He is still your Savior because He is faithful even when we are faithless. Now, for the Hebrew people at this time, their relationship is based on the fact that God had promised their ancestor Abraham that He would lead them to a promised land. That's their relationship. They're not losing that. But right now, their daily enjoyment and walk with God, that's been greatly hindered. Now, the great thing, right, let me illustrate one more, one more way. My dad and I, we get along well. Uh, we have different personalities, but we, we, we click pretty well. But let's just say one day my dad just came and said he, he didn't like the way I was parenting my two boys, and he thought I was making some mistakes. I'd probably, like, argue back, and we'd go back and forth at each other, and we would yell, scream, probably slam a door or two. And we probably wouldn't talk for a while. Our fellowship would be greatly hindered. But he's still my dad. He always will be. I'm still his son. I always will be. That never changes. Relationship is steady. Fellowship can go up and down. Now, thankfully, there's a way to re renew fellowship with others and with God. You've got to come together, confess sin, apologize, and change your mind about what's really important to you. And we see the Israelites do that in verse 10. They say, as all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship each one at the door of his tent. I love this. The people, they're looking out. They see Moses' tent. And they see this pillar of cloud. That's when they knew when you saw the cloud, God was talking to Moses. And they see the cloud. They know Moses and God are talking. Everyone comes outside of their tent and bows and worship. They've changed the idol or the affection of their hearts to the Lord. And I love this. We get, a little bit, we get an inside look at what was going on in the tent. Verse 11 says, The Lord spoke with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Now, I love this. This term here, face to face, it is, it's, not, it's an idiom. What's the English grammar, what we would call that? It's not to be taken literally. It's kind of like how we would say when it's raining hard outside, we would say it's raining cats and dogs outside. We don't really mean that our pets are falling from the sky and just splatting all over the ground. It'd be awful. Like, I don't want to go outside today. I'm afraid of getting hit by a golden retriever. That's going to really hurt. Imagine a cat coming down with the claws out. Tear us apart. Never leaving my house. I'm afraid. 
when you see face to face, it's not Moses and God back and forth. It means their relationship is very close and it's really intimate. Moses is not afraid to ask God anything. And God's responding to him. And they're just having a great conversation. Everything Moses wants to know, he brings it directly to God. And we see Moses bring some of his concerns to the Lord a little bit later in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have indeed found favor in your sight, please teach me your ways, and I will know you and find favor in your sight. Now, consider that this nation is your people. How the, then he replied, God replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded, don't make us go up from here. I love this. Moses is like, you've got to go with us. And God says, okay, I will. And Moses is like, no, you've got to go. If, if you don't go, there's no point in us going. We will not succeed. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor in your sight unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses knew that he could not lead these people without the Lord, and that there's no way they, could have, they would have a shot of becoming a nation for the Lord without God's presence. And then I love this, this next thing Moses did. He just decided to go for broke. I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe when you're at work, you're making several good decisions that are good and profitable for your, for your company. Or maybe when you were playing ball one time and you were just making good decisions, you were scoring, you were leading your team well. And you just decided to do something big, like a big risky move because everything you've been doing so far has worked out well and you understand what's going on. You just decided to take a big risk. I remember one time, this was a few years further back, I was in my... I, First year on staff with Campus Crusade, first job out of college. I was at Eastern Kentucky University, my alma mater, and I got to be there as a campus minister, and I loved it. Uh, there was one particular dorm that every year we would try to see God raise up a Bible study out of that dorm. We would invite students to come, study God's Word on a weekly basis and just in a small group atmosphere. And year after year after year, we just never saw it. And that year we went for it again, and God raised up several students who wanted to come in and look at the Bible each week. It was great. I was like, wow, this is awesome. And our ministry grew a little bit, and things were just going really well. And I loved it. And I, and I remember just thinking, man, I just, I like working ministry as a job. I still do. But that was the first time I really knew I like this. And I remember one day we were having a staff prayer time, and our staff director came in, and he said, hey, today we're going to pray for the campus. And I was like, okay, let's hold hands and pray for the campus. And he said, no, no, no. We're all going to split up, and we're going to go to different parts of campus and we're going to pray for the staff of this campus. We don't want to just focus on students. We want to care about who works here. So somebody got assigned. You're going to the cafeteria workers. You're going to the library staff. You're going to the athletic department. And we didn't, we didn't call these people. Hey, I'm coming on today around 2. Hope I can pray with you. We, didn't, we just went. Just seeing what we could do. And I remember I, and it came to me. They asked, where do you want to go? And I just decided to swing for the fences. And I said, I want to go pray with the president of the university. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but college presidents, they're a little bit like unicorns. You see pictures of them, but you don't know if they're real. You don't see them walking around campus. They're not, not real people like you and me. They're different. But I decided to go for it. And I remember it was raining cats and dogs that day. I had to put on my jacket, and I got drenched on the way to the president's office. But I knew where his building was. And I walked in, 
and I like shook the like, rain off of me and pulled my hood back. I'm sure I look goofy as can be. And uh, there was his secretary right there. And I said, hi, my name's Mackie. I'm here I'm with Campus Crusade. And I was just wondering if I could pray with President Whitlock. And I'm, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I thought, oh, why, why, why am I going to get this man's attention? This is ridiculous. Like, what, what have I signed up for? And then to my surprise, he came out of his office. He was going somewhere. He had an umbrella. He was ready. And there he was. Like, oh, the man. And I said, I said it again. I said, hi, my name's Mackie. I'm, I'm here with crew, uh, campus minister here. And I was wondering if I could just pray with you. And to my shock, he just said, yeah. And I thought he would ask me to pray for, you know, more government funding or greater enrollment or for the football team to win some more games. It wasn't it at all. He shared with me a really tragic event that had gone on within his, his personal family. And I got to pray with him that day. That was big for me. Moses asked for something a whole lot bigger, which is awesome. Verse 18. Then Moses said, please, God, let me see your glory. Nobody else has ever asked for this. This is huge. Moses is not swinging for the fences. He's swinging for the stratosphere. And God grants his request with some conditions. He said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he answered, You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. The Lord said, Here is a place near me. You are to stand on this rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock, cover you with my hand, until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back. But my face will not be seen. Man, can you imagine Moses' excitement? Like, I'm about to see God, like as much of God as I can handle without dying. This is huge. And uh, when I was trying to find people who might describe, who were trying to describe and write what this might look like, I found one uh, commentator. He said this, As our bodily eye is dazzled and its power of vision destroyed by looking directly at the brightness of the sun, so would our whole nature be destroyed by an unveiled sight of brilliancy of the glory of God. And yet Moses is going to see as much of that glory as he can without dying. Now, what I think is incredibly interesting about this is that we have no record of Moses ever describing what he saw. I, he didn't come back into the, into the camp and be like, everybody, you've got to, I've got to describe this to you. I need as many artists as I can. We've got to write this down now. He doesn't do that. He never, ever talks about it. And my only thought on that is there's some things in this world, some encounters with the divine, the almighty, the all-powerful, that we just don't have strong enough words to describe. He never talked about it. Now, what is, it, what is interesting is later in the Bible, later in human history, God's glory gets revealed again. The disciple John, many, many years later, tells us this. The word became flesh. God became flesh and took up residence among us. And we observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And he observed his glory like it happened again. Yes, God's glory came down a second time. And what he's talking about is the transfiguration in Matthew 17. Um, in Matthew 17, you've got Jesus is there with Peter, James, and John. Jesus, Peter, James, John. And he takes them up high on a mountain. 
Because he wants to show them something that only for those three at that time to see and know about. Takes them on the mountain, and Jesus was transformed in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. Even his clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Moses has been dead for years and years and years and years. Elijah actually never died, but God took him to heaven. And these guys come back. But what I want to focus on for a moment is this word transformed. This comes from the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. It means when you transform or change in form entirely. It's not that Jesus' face just glowed a little bit and his tattered gray garments turned white. It's much more than that. His very form changed. So much so that when you read the story, Peter and James and John, they all fall to the ground in fear. It's too much for them to handle. They're seeing the glory of God. They can't handle it. And I like this. Peter Peter sees them all, and he sees Moses and Elijah. Moses represents all the Old Testament law. Elijah represents all the Old Testament prophets, showing that all the law and all the prophets, everything you read in the Old Testament, was all leading and pushing and pointing and preparing for Jesus' entry into the world. And then God the Father joins the fray, and he says, this is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Listen to him. Man, the message of the Bible, there's a lot of words and a lot of chapters and a lot of stories, and they're incredible. And these stories that we talked about today, they're not only incredible, but they're real and they're true and they happened. But if I had to sum up everything Jesus said and our, our command to listen to him, it would really come down to two big things. That there's no way to God except through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven except through him. And the thing is, whenever we make Jesus our Lord and our Savior, we, you and I, we get to have the same intimate conversation that Moses had with God. We get to have that face-to-face conversation because the moment you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you. God is inside of you. He's just waiting for you to talk to him, to ask him for help, to read the Bible, to ask him to help you understand the Bible. God wants to have an intimate relationship with you, every bit as intimate as he had with Moses. This isn't just for Moses. This isn't just for prophets. It's for you and for me and anyone who makes Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life.